okay, I gotta, let me just write something down, make sure we have all, I got all my facts right. I was going to actually keep it clean for this podcast just because I thought that was a good idea, but I'm on a crown and diet Coke because I just got my vaccine. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> like, well, you should definitely like, do that as a checkup. Like, as if like, you're going to do a like quick half, checkup. Like half, half an hour ago. Yeah, I was. I'm not surprised uh, yeah. that, that the age is younger in the North because yeah. poverty, you know this, George, you yeah. say this all the time. Poverty yeah. is the biggest thing that drives down life expectancy. Yeah. Right. So. I'm sure average life expectancy, but Bruce, you might know this, life expectancy on a reserve versus general population in Canada. What is it? 10 it's years lower? I was going to yeah. say 12. I think yeah, like lower? in my past, yeah. my last job as a decision support guy, I looked at those numbers yeah. all the time. I can't quite remember, but it, it's 10 or 12 years. It's a and, shocking. It's shocking. Yeah. yeah. And, and also as a percentage, right? Because there's so many young people, like all the reserves are just exploding with kids it, yeah. so because there's so many young people the percentage of old is just tiny we had a guy come up i wish i could remember his name but he was all about population pyramids and all of those kind of things and one of the things he showed was the population in northern manitoba really mirrored a lot of middle east countries at one time yeah. where there were so many terrorist groups and there were so many disenfranchised young people he made his living going around doing these speeches that are supposed to scare the shit out of you or get you or whatever <laughs> but but he came to our chamber of commerce and said, you're basically have terrorist cells brewing in all of other <laughs> because look, look, look at your population pyramid, right? Which yeah. obviously kind of hasn't come through, but it was kind of interesting to see because it's like a developing country kind of, yeah. I guess, or I don't know how you want to explain that, but yeah, mm -hmm. it's kind of cool. I'll tell you guys another story, Bruce, you got to promise not to put this in the pod though. Okay. Should we stop the pod? Should we stop recording? Oh, whatever. No, nah, keep it going. We I, I trust Bruce. Yeah. I trust Bruce with the sensitive content. So we did this date night thing where we signed up for uh, this charity event where you do a Zoom call. The next day. I feel nothing but shame about my behavior. <laughs> it's such a good story. The secret weapon called and said, you got to include it. I checked in with them. Les and Alex have both signed off on it. It's at the end of the pod. Les, I think has literally said, oh, you know, not much has changed. I'm doing the same old thing, maybe seven or eight pods in a row like he's yeah. almost <laughs> verbatim saying the same thing it would be funny to capture just him saying the same thing over and over and over, <laughs> over again like in a, a montage of me saying a montage of oh i don't know changed. it's the same thing <laughs> <laughs> well i tell you it's really starting to feel that way it's really yeah. starting to feel that way actually you know what hold that george hold that thought because bruce i'm thinking a good wrap-up question could be when was the last time you sincerely apologized to somebody for something? Yeah. That's, that's okay. a good one. I was just going to spin some of this into a, when's the last time you, but yeah, let's do that. Okay. Well, you can record an intro into it now if you want. And, no, no, I can do it later. And then you can tell the story. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Tell, finish your story. So when was the last time I sincerely apologized? No, no, fin finish the story about your daughter or it's the same story. It's the same story. The, yeah. It's the same story. Yeah. It's the same. That, that's why Les said, well, yeah. wait. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want an apology for you interrupting me. You won't respect me if I apologize to you, so just get on with it. <laughs> it's March 2021. This is episode 41. Apologies. Here's the disclaimer. 
it's very stereotypical Canadian. If you bump into me, I'm apologizing to you and saying, oh, sorry about that. Strangers? I can give a fuck. <laughs> like, I never say sorry ever when I bump into people. Like, I'm the Canadian that never apologizes when you accidentally bump into me. There's no fucking way I'm apologizing to you. George, I'm more typically Canadian. I think I bump into people, I apologize. I probably say, oh, sorry, sorry. Whether it's sincere or not, we don't have to get into. But I am Canadian. And I don't apologize for being Canadian. This is the Snow Day Podcast with CEO Leslie Hansen. No, George, I'll stop you because you're getting almost every fact wrong. (laughs) Dr. George Alvarez. I had this weird fantasy about, oh, I don't have like a good pair of like white or tan pants, like a white, like Guy Caballero SCTV white pants. Leadership expert, Stephen DeGroote. I have to pee. And me, Bruce Krentz, the one they left behind. I threw a snowball with a rock in it. Miraculously hit the kid from a long ways away. I'm just going to pull out my I was a super athlete thing. We did a little staff meeting after episode 40 and we decided that part of the podcast was starting to turn into a, a prepared debate. We were sending the topics out ahead of time and and as good as the conversation was, there were times when we felt it was a little, I don't know if you want to say forced is the right way to, to describe it, but we were a little more prepared than we would have been if we all sat down in a basement and just started talking about a topic. So we've shook things up, shaken things up. We shook them up. And one person is just going to bring a topic. The rest of us don't know what it is as if we were just sitting around having a drink in the basement and we'll discuss it. Steve's not with us. The good news is he's not lost in Montreal. He's not AWOL with George's car <laughs> someplace in the Rocky Mountains. He's just, uh, he's running down a hill, waving his arms, just trying to get his feet back under him and didn't have time to make the pod. But our legions of fans cannot be let down. We, we feel like after 40 episodes, we're almost in syndication. I read someplace that 50 episodes gets you into syndication. I don't, I don't know who's going to syndicate us, but... 10 more to go. I can see it. We're only a year away at our current pace. We're going to miss him today. Hopefully his work slows down a bit. Before we find out George's mystery topic, I hope it's the monarchy. Just because of the Oprah Winfrey thing, we sort of kicked around going to the monarchy. And then we decided not to do it. And now it's blowing up and it's all over the place. So, And little did we know Oprah scooped in and stole our topic. <laughs> yeah, again. Fuck. Fuck Oprah. It's like she's <laughs> hacking my email. She's one step ahead of us at all times. <laughs> but first of all, uh, let's go check in. What's been going on with you? I think the last time we talked was beginning of February and now it's beginning-ish of March 2021. You know, I'm working right now. Uh, I'm not on call tonight, which is why I can do this podcast. And outside of uh, working, having meetings with you guys to sharpen the direction of the pod uh, <laughs> and, uh, and hanging out with uh, the fam and uh, seeing the vaccine rollout, because I think the last time we talked was about the vaccine. It's been quite interesting. A lot of us have made correct and incorrect predictions the way the vaccine rollout would go. And I think that's a good segue for you, Bruce. Unbelievably, I went and got my vaccine tonight. Like Arnie was worried I wouldn't even be back for the pod. So I'm not sure if I'm George. I didn't like 100% scoop in on my white privilege, but I was on a short wait list. So I'm in a healthcare setting and was 
on the list, but it was it was hard to say when my number would come up. And I just said, hey, I live two minutes away from the vaccine clinic. If we're at dose 10 of a vial of 10, let me know. And when the girl called, she was like, no, you got to get in your car right now and come here. I just got off the treadmill. I was all sweaty and gross. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Rolled in and got it. So, And that, that makes two out of four in our family. So Murph got his a couple of days ago. He's working at Hope North, which is a congregate living facility. And that qualifies in Manitoba now. So it kind of cracks me up though, George, just because we talked about really, it should just go from the oldest to the youngest, like how a 19 year old healthy kid should get it. But right now I'm at the rules are the rules and the more people that get it, just get it right. So two out of four in our family got it right now. I feel great right now, but it's only been honestly an hour and a half since I was in the chair. So just to be clear, uh, I actually work with COVID patients, COVID patients die and I'm one for four in my family and you're two for four, right? <laughs> I'm not sure I got that right. Yeah, okay, good. No, hey, it's just the way it rolls. That's that's how it goes. <laughs> when you get those chances, you got to take them. Before we move off of the COVID topic, though, and I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say about this. As the vaccines are starting to come out, we were just saying before we started recording that two weeks ago, you know, mass vaccinations felt in Canada like just this pipe dream and it felt like it could be forever away. And now especially for me at work in the last sort of week, week and a half, it's like everything's just come into focus and it really, it's all starting to feel more real. And you're hearing the stuff coming out of the States about if all of you have been vaccinated, you can get together without masks and all that kind of stuff. And I see that starting to come in Canada. I'm worried about two things. I'm worried about two classes, which I today just parachuted myself into what you could probably say was the mm -hmm. upper class of people who have been already vaccinated. And just, I have more stress now, again, that people are going to stop following the rules and we're going to, you know, we're going to have a third wave or some kind of anarchy <laughs> just because now everybody's just at the, the total fuck it point, right? Half of you are vaccinated. People don't care. They're just all gathering. Does that, is that giving mm -hmm. you any stress right now? Or is that just a me thing? I think that's definitely coming. I feel great about where, where we are with the vaccine rollout. Uh, although it, you know, we did realize shortly after we recorded the, the last pod that we were wrong or partially incorrect on almost everything we said. So it's kind of funny, but I feel, you know, a, a level of positivity towards this now that I haven't felt in a long time. And so that's, that's good. But in Toronto here at Sunnybrook hospital, they are right now today building one of those big field hospitals, overflow hospitals in the parking lot on the expectation that a third wave is coming. Now, Toronto, much like where you guys are and most places in the world, the cases have been on steady decline, right? We were, whatever, Ontario was at like 4,000 new cases a day. At one point now we're down to like 1,000. So everything is like getting better, getting better, getting better. Yet they are building a field hospital for the first time in the parking lot at Sunnybrook <laughs> Hospital, expecting a third wave to happen. So I think you might be right, Bruce, that that's, I mean, obviously a lot of that thinking is based on the variants uh, that we know spread more quickly. Um, but I think it's also probably partially based on the expectation that people are, you know, taking their foot off the brake a little bit, because like I just described, we're feeling good about things. We're feeling like the end <laughs> is here, right? Like COVID is over. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. a little while longer, a little while longer. I'm with you. It's it's totally dropping, but you you can just see where it's going to be so hard to to just keep following the guidelines when some people honestly don't feel like they have to anymore. Georgie, you've been vaccinated for a long time and, and you know that that's not true, that, that you can just roam the world like you're the like you're the king of kensington the king of calgary sometimes it's hard not to think in your mind well i'm immune so whatever have you seen any of that like at, at your work are you guys worried about a third wave if you want to call it that uh we are certainly uh preparing for a third wave 
you know, we've been into this for a year. So you can just imagine, you know, outside of medicine, you know, once bit, twice shy, right? Like we're not going to be uh, hoodwinked this time. And, uh, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, as the old saying goes. Um, it certainly hasn't, for me, it hasn't changed at all. Like my work is exactly the same. Uh, but you're right. There is a little bit of, okay, I'm feeling a little bit better. It's coming out. I'm obviously ecstatic that my original drunk claims that this would be a lot harder in a monster fluck. <laughs> monster fluck of a rollout <laughs> and granted i was pretty drunk and pessimistic so i've been obviously pleasantly surprised i still think there are hiccups but that's just testament to real-time learning uh when you're doing such an unbelievable trans country trans world project that people are just picking up steam just things get better just like getting on the bike for less you know, it, it hurt at the beginning, it, the things were creaky and cracky, yeah. but now every time he gets on the bike, it's a little bit smoother, it's a little bit faster, and you start gearing in. So every day that those people that are coming to work for the last few months prepping, well, they're not prepping anymore. They're just working. Like, they're, they're not planning anymore. They're just waiting to work. There should be a third wave, and the hope is it just won't be as virulent or as steep as the second wave just because we've been aggressively vaccinating. Last pod two in your drunken stupor and here you kind of faded to work too, but just in your real life, you're fully vaccinated now. What are you seeing with people around you? Like, are they letting their, their foot off the brake a little bit? Does a six person gathering turn into an eight and a 10 or are you guys still doing pretty good around Calgary? And I'm not trying to call you out. I'm just curious because I'm seeing it in Manitoba where our guidelines are still a lot more stringent than yours. The edges are getting way blurrier, right? And it's happening with me too. That's a little bit of reflection of our, our premiere and the way he leans versus other provinces and jurisdictions. We started to open things up, restaurants are opening back up. And, you know, our premiere is really about the working class, getting businesses back, oil has been crushed. It's never gonna recover in this province. You, you know, things have got to move and pick up uh, forward. So I think he's feeling pressure to, uh, not quite Texas crazy where you know, COVID is over, no more masks, no more rules. Like uh, it's uh, Caligula and it's a fucking orgy, no condoms. Like it's crazy. It, we're definitely not that cuckoo, but uh, he leans in that cuckoo way. Luckily, the people that actually do things about it, which is our healthcare system, are a little bit more careful than, than he is. Okay, I'm going to ask you one more time, but in your life, not your premier, your your friend circle, the people that you see around you, are they they still holding the line? Yes. Okay. Yes. No, no. It's definitely more relaxed. Mm-hmm. You know, the running joke is, uh, well, George, you're vaccinated. What do you care? <laughs> you know, and then that sort of goes into a little bit, well, you know, it's, you know, nothing's 100% guys. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I give my little spiel, but it is funny that I feel the same amount of anxiety and trepidation, but everybody around me is feeling less. Uh, and especially when I'm around because A, I give them information, I answer their questions, I quell their fears, uh, I reaffirm things for them. I've gotten the vaccine. I tell them the cases are going lower, which is true. Like that's actually factually true. <laughs> and so in a weird way, I'm like the pusher that gives them just a little bit more mm-hmm. of a hit. It's okay. Just have a little bit more Coke, have a little bit more heroin. It's going to be okay. <laughs> and I've been reflecting if I need to be more alarmist just to keep people in check. <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, 
I tell them how I feel like this is the truth that this is actually happening. And so I don't know if I'm falsely reassuring people and I'm not doing them any favors. Uh, Lester, we didn't get a check in from you, but what's what, what's going on in your world? Yeah, nothing really has changed here for me. Um, living a life of monk-like solitude. Since checking in for the last podcast, I have done absolutely nothing. And look out the window onto the street, which uh, gives me sort of a, a vision into the world. I leave my house a couple times a day to walk my dog. And uh, that's what it is. Sitting at my kitchen island here. Bored. Yeah, yeah, fuck. Boring is my life right now. Unlike you two guys, I have not had the vaccine yet, so I am still <laughs> terrified. <laughs> Locked down, no one will come near me. George and I are about to have a no mask party, so. <laughs> Life is still the same here in Toronto. The most interesting thing I've had happen since the last pod is I, uh, I actually had an in-life sighting of Steve. <laughs> nice. He's not dead. He's not dead. Yeah, rumors of his uh, demise were grossly exaggerated. <laughs> Steve's in Toronto on business, and so we got together on Sunday, went for a socially distanced stroll around my neighborhood, and uh, I took him to my most romantic view in the city of Toronto. <laughs> we hung out and had a little uh, a little one-on-one time there. It was nice. It's the first time I've seen any of you guys in a year, right? We're at a year now. I'm, I'm two days away from, a, from my one-year anniversary of locking down when I sent everybody home from the office oh. and we shut things down. We're coming up to all those one-year anniversaries, right? I do a little radio hit thing on CHTM, 610. It's Although it's not 610 anymore. <laughs> 610 CHTM, 102.9 because they're FM now. Huh? Huh? Oh, Jesus. It'll always be 610 in our hearts. <laughs> yeah, it will be. I, I can't not say 610, but I sort of do a weekly thing for work. And uh, yeah. I, just today we were saying it's been a year since I saw the DJ in real life, right? Like we switched over to phone calls and, and that's yeah. been just fine. And I actually saw him then later. He was driving past me and he's put on a little weight. He's, he's got the COVID-15 COVID going. <laughs> well, I want to add another check-in piece then now that you mentioned about adding weight. You're up five pounds? Yes, but more probably. My tailor is Giovanni. Like I'm an Italian tailor. He's old school. His uncle, his dad are both tailors. He's from Italy. He came here in the 70s. He's been in Calgary the whole time. And I kind of accidentally ran into him because he lived very close to me in my first house. And now I'm back very close to him. So he's been making me close for a long time because, you know, I got a Latino booty. You know, I got not normal <laughs> pants size. So, it, you know, he totally understands my Mediterranean physique. So at about, uh, before Christmas, I had this weird fantasy about, oh, uh, the, before things got crazy again in December and it just went nuts. So, you know what? I don't have like a good pair of like white or tan pants, like a white, like Guy Caballero SCTV white pants. So I go up to uh, Giovanni and he had made me these amazing pants, like dusty blue, like all these very European uh, metrosexual pants for my uh, Megan and I's Italian trip. He makes your whoring pants. Yeah, he makes, yeah. <laughs> Just call them what they are. They're your whoring pants, George. They're, they're pretty nice. And, you <laughs> yeah. know, Megan will attest that they're really, really nice and comfortable pants. And so I get these white pants done. So, well, lockdown comes down. He shuts down for a few months. I completely forget about it. Like, it's like five or six months ago. He calls me two weeks ago. And he says, oh, George, Dr. Alvarez, your pants are here. You should come in. Me and my wife, we've been, you know, shut down for two or three months. We've closed, you know, closed it, didn't make any pants. So I show up 
And I put on the pants and I'm all, oh, Gio, this is, this is, a, this is a, I've got a camel toe here. This is a bit. Is, These are last year's pants. <laughs> These are before COVID pants. Why are you making me before COVID pants? I need the after COVID pants. <laughs> so, so I had to let him let them out again. So he just called me today uh, and he says, your new bigger pants are out. And, of course, and he actually said new bigger pants. And I laughed because it was a voice oh, message. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to be picking up my uh, my white pants. I'll show them to you the next time. We see. Oh, that's great. And, and, this, and this on the heels of a one month health challenge by you. Yeah. Oh yeah, I can do push-ups like a motherfucker, but apparently my belly is bigger. <laughs> We're basically four years out of the snow day basement. It's middle to the end of March, and this was totally the time. I know Sammy's passing was about a week ago, so this really is... This is an anniversary for all of us, and it's nice to be sitting down doing a pod. I don't know what more to say. Here you go. What are we talking about today? We're talking about apologies. How apologies have changed in our lifetime and how annoying they are to me now. And so here's the background. When okay. you and I were growing up, an apology meant something very specific. You were sorry, you were contrite, and it was, it was timely. It happened in a certain amount of time. And what I've been noticing more and more is socially, people are apologizing for things that have happened or have been brought up and when they never apologized in the first time. And it's coming across as very false and it's annoying me. Several years ago, Molly Ringwald comes out in 2018. I think it was a New Yorker piece because I actually ended up reading it because I was so annoyed where she starts to reflect. And this is during the me too movement so a super important movement affected us quite a bit people in our lives vis-a-vis -vis bill cosby and not weinstein really shed a light on you know some pretty deplorable behavior and i think it shook a lot of people and uh people you know reflected like they should like jesus things i can't believe this is actually still going on nowadays super important movement happens molly ringwall comes out Rewatches her shows that John Hughes did. Now, just to remind you who John Hughes was, Breakfast Club, Sixteen Candles, Ferris Bueller, unbelievable movie, Weird Science, still one of Lessons and I's favorite, you know, evil characters, the great Bill Paxton died, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Uncle Buck. So he's got the, this litany of quite influential 80s movies on us, and she watches the movies that she was in. And she says something along the lines, you know, a lot of what was in that movies could be perceived as racist, homophobic, misogynistic. And then later goes on to say, but he had such a huge influence on me. I'm so grateful for what he did to my career. But, you know, I want to kind of apologize for not apologizing in something that was 30 years old. And I remember thinking, well, you're really piggybacking yourself on a much more important issue, the hashtag Me Too movement. To bring up, which I think is utter bullshit. Obviously, you know, I never spoke to about it anybody. I just thought it was you know, generally annoying. And then we've all seen this over and over. Usually famous people, people obviously in the public eye who have Twitter feeds, who have a lot of followers, starting to apologize right up until like a week and a half ago where I watched the Britney Spears documentary on Netflix. This was quite important for Megan because this was a huge figure in Megan's life growing up because she's younger than me. 
it was pretty interesting. Uh, I can't believe the New York Times actually did this, like a pretty reputable <laughs> paper. And then shortly afterward, Justin Timberlake comes up with this huge apology on his feet. I love this guy. I think he's a huge talent. He's super funny on SNL. I love his music. I think he's a cool dude. When him and Brittany dated, he was like 19 years old and in sync. And who's not an idiot when he's 19 or 20 years old? Like we're all idiotic. We've all regret do stuff. So he apologizes about what he was like, uh, how he wasn't supportive of her. They each write a, a song respectively about <laughs> each other. And uh, he gets lambasted for saying that he slept with her. Well, okay, you're 19, 20 years old. You're dating you're two beautiful people. Like That's not a big surprise. And then he just sort of haphazardly brings in Janet Jackson from the 2004 <laughs> Super Bowl commercial, which obviously was uh, like a faux pas. Like he accidentally exposed Janet. It was super embarrassing. The thing happened like in 2004 and five. His Twitter feed is clearly written by his agent. It's very well crafted. It's uh, what would be perceived as a real apology if done in real time, if done in person to the people that are actually affected. Anyways, it just kind of bugged me. It bugs me that people are virtue signaling. They're apologizing in ways that cannot possibly be earnest. And I think it's taking away from something that we were taught was an important aspect of our childhood and growing up. And I got to tell you, I have a hard time apologizing because I'm a stubborn guy. And that's something <laughs> that I'm actually trying to work on. But it doesn't help me when I hear bullshit apologies over and over under pressure from social media feeds with the only outcome is to make sure they are not, for lack of a better word, canceled by angry woke mobs who seem to believe that we are now waking up from this primordial soup where everybody is super woke about every single possible aspect of uh, the evolution of our species without having lived the last 40 or 50 years and made mistakes to get to this evolutionary part. So that's what I want to talk about. And that's where I've come from. And just in case somebody calls me out on something that I did in 1984, fuck you. I'm not apologizing. I was an idiot. <laughs> of course it was stupid. If I didn't apologize in 1984, I'm not apologizing in 2021 for the record. The funny thing for me on the, the apology today is I'm probably the 180 opposite of you. I'm an over-apologetic person in the moment. I like people to be happy. I like my life to run smooth. I've spent a lot of time... Up Apologizing and smoothing things over works good for me. I'm not going to apologize to you for that. And sometimes it cracks me up. It's, it's very stereotypical Canadian. If you bump into me, I'm apologizing to you and saying, oh, sorry about that. I'm going to smooth that over. So the apology in the, in the day, you and I are, are probably different on that. The thing that, that you totally reminded me of in saying that is I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and watching a lot of shows about old statues and how we should take those statues down. And to me, this feels like the same kind of thing. That was a fuck up 30 years ago. I don't think we apologize for that. Maybe we try to learn from it, try to move on. But sometimes I think apology is the wrong word. But you're right, we've got to a point in life where these people apologize for something they did 30 years ago. Well, you're not, what are you, how are you going to change that? 
learn from it. So I, I, I think I'm kind of with you, but it really took me to the whole idea of, well, we should take down all these statues and just listen to a thing about like Confederate flags, right? And that's still a huge thing in, in the States that there's a giant part of the population that still thinks we should celebrate Confederate flags. And it's part of our history. So I don't think we totally sweep it under the rug. And I don't know where I've ended up on that scale yet. I'm still struggling with, do we take statues down? I don't, I don't think we do. Like, I think it's part of our history. I, I don't think we celebrate them. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't say this was a great person, but this was still important enough to our society that we, or to a part of it, that we put up a statue and we remember. And same thing with Confederate flags. Holy cow, that was the tomato timer already. <laughs> tomato timer going off on you. Shut the fuck up, Bruce. You're talking too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So there's some things that I'm not proud of that I did but I, I, I don't know if I'm going to go back and apologize for them or just, just sort of acknowledge that that was a screw up or it's not timely anymore. At the time, it was fine. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at. I remember the Molly Ringwald article coming out where she kind of looked back on her association with John Hughes, uh, you know, and, and tried to put her own modern day spin on it, which is kind of like one side of the angle. And I also watched that Britney Spears documentary last week. Some pieces of it were shocking. Learning that the court system could can actually take away somebody's rights was pretty wacky. I realized how little I actually knew about Britney Spears' life, even though she's been front of mind for us for the last 20 years because she was just everywhere. Agreed. Some frightening aspects yeah. of it. I didn't see the doc, but I listened to a five or six part podcast. There's just shocking parts of her life. And you're right. I, I thought I yeah. knew Britney Spears, kind of. Mm -hmm. This one was very pro-Britney. So I, the thing that I listened to, I think, was a little bit skewed. But still, she's had a wild life, man. Yeah, it's it's like really, it's really quite crazy. So, George, I think there's two angles from what you said. And to try to see which one of these is actually what bothers you. The first is... How often in current time period do you hear a, a celebrity? Like we're not talking about Megan coming to you and apologizing for something she did yesterday, right? We're not talking about our, our personal lives with someone we're intimate with. But when you hear an apology of somebody who's out in the public sphere, when was the last time you thought it had any, any believability or credibility? Zero. Zero. Never. Maybe this is part of what's watered down apologies for us is that there is a standard boilerplate PR spin apology that everybody puts out when they're caught doing something that goes against whatever the politically correct topic of that day is. It's always the same. I want to apologize. This doesn't represent who I am as a person, right? We could write it right now, right? Doesn't represent who I am as a person. Today. I'm doing, I, today, um, I'm committing myself to doing the learning, to doing the hard work, to learning to educate myself on these issues, so, right? Like it's, it's all the same bullshit. And it just makes it like so non-authentic that in my mind, it just almost makes it worse. Like I'm waiting for the one time that a celebrity gets caught with their pants down and they get in front of a microphone and actually say something, like actually apologize or not, yeah. or choose not to, but actually yeah, say something instead of putting out that boilerplate statement. But then the other thing I think that you touched on, which is really an interesting topic as well, a lot of people after that Britney Spears documentary came out 
were, you know, vilified or made to look bad after the fact. Some of them should look bad. I did think it was interesting that Justin Timberlake was thrown in that mix. How far back in time, at what age in your life, do you think you have to legitimately start being responsible for your behavior to the point where you have to apologize for things that were different in the era that you did them, right? This is a conversation that we, that we have a lot now. Clearly, in that documentary, there are two of the most famous people on the planet. The media is treating her horribly and treating him very well. Okay, so we've got a gender issue that would be interesting to talk about. 20 years later, he's apologizing for his behavior when, as you pointed out, George, he was a kid. And you, and you see this all the time, like Molly Ringwald apologizing for John Hughes movies that came out in the mid 80s that she didn't write. Like, yes, she acted in them, but what was she, 16, when she said, please, I want to be a Hollywood starlet. And she took on a role that now, 35 years later, we look back and say, yeah, 16 Candles. If you watch it again today, you will laugh your ass off and you will say, oh, my God, I can't show this to my kids because it is blatantly racist. It is so misogynistic. It's unbelievable. Like, it breaks every barrier. And in the 80s, we laughed at that because we didn't know any better. We were kids, so we can kind of get out of jail for having laughed about it. I don't know what, what our parents or adults were thinking in the 80s. Where's the line drawn at which point you have to start saying, yeah, I shouldn't have done that and I feel bad about it and I apologize versus, God, that's so far back in the past and times were different and I was young. And how do we find that balance? The way I see it is that nobody will ever give you a pass as long as it's somehow recorded or documented. That, that is the problem, is that no one will allow you, if you're at all 15 minutes of fame, Andy Warhol style, as long as it's somehow documented, because I think we've talked about this too, we're now in the public sphere. We're all professionals. We choose to be on this podcast. There is a certain amount of anxiety of when I become the angry old guy and say shit like this, <laughs> that somebody is going to do something silly. But there's also a stand your ground stubbornness in me to say, you know, you, you're not controlling me. You can't make me not say what I believe. So to your point about what, how far you can go back, I think you can go back as far as you want to, at least today people are. And I'm already seeing preemptive strikes for people. Here's a very good example. Billie Eilish. Uh, so I never knew anything about Billie Eilish. My daughter started to listen to her even before. You keep bringing up people you know nothing about. Britney Spears, Billie Eilish. She's the singer with the greenish hair, right? Billie Eilish. She's the singer with the greenish hair, right? Young girl. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah, she's like really monotone. <laughs> How old man did I just sound right there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty old man. She's spectacular. I'm the bad guy. Duh. Yeah, she is an unbelievable talent. She writes her own music. I think she's great. Her songs are great. I listen to music in the car that my daughter listens to, so I'm getting a flavor of stuff. I, you know, I can't always listen to '90s hip hop. <laughs> so she wins a couple of Grammys. I remember watching her acceptance speech, and she came up and she apologized. She apologized to the fans of the people that she was competing against because she knew how disappointed they would be that their fan favorite didn't win. And I thought to myself, what the fuck? Why are you preemptively apologizing or 
purposely not saying anything that could be construed as inflammatory when you, young lady, are an immense talent, uh, I like your music, and you just won. Like, why are you apologizing prophylactically, prophylactically for your success? And, and that also triggered me a little bit. So to answer your question, Les, never. And I think people are starting to actively say bullshit things because I think they're petrified. And just like Bruce said earlier, I want my life to be easy. I would rather just apologize like good old Canadian about everything, get along with everything. And to tell you the truth, the best results always happen with friction. When our best podcasts happen, when we disagree with each other, that is the natural human to human interaction. I don't want to agree with everything that you say. We're not automatons. It bugs me. I'll disagree with you a little bit because I don't love friction. And I don't know what the tipping point between disagreeing, I don't think that you and I have to agree on everything, but I don't feel like we have to have friction. Me apologizing is the wrong thing. Maybe we got to find different words that are just sort of like, <laughs> we bump into each other and I say, hey, we're good, or no worries or something like that, instead of, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, but maybe that's just where we've ended up at. So I, I don't love the friction thing. My, my life works pretty good without friction. You like friction. <laughs> so, I mean, everybody's different, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, I've become, with actually the help of Steven, I've become a quite a different clinician in the last 10 years. I like to think a different person in the last five. I think we've all grown. And that comes with the totality of my experience, including making mistakes, including apologizing, not apologizing. I get along at work great. Why, why do you think I always talk so positively about work. It isn't that I just show up there and it's bang, I'm doing my job. Fuck everybody. I'm gone home. Bam. Drop the mic moment. I, I make a, a conscientious effort to get along with people and I've apologized to them often the next day. Like I, I usually simmer down and they've come in and apologized to me. So apologies happen organically. They feel like this is legit. Uh, there's contrition there. Like Les said, it's people are rubber stamping things. And I think who Les was quoting was the bachelorette guy where he made that ridiculous quote uh, <laughs> where he didn't call out one of his contestants. Are you talking about the current Chris Harrison guy from The Bachelor? Yeah, The Bachelor or Bachelorette. I can't remember. I, I mean, I don't watch those shows, but I read some feed. It's the same host for, for all of them. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So this is how little I give a shit about this show. He stepped down and I guess a year or two seasons ago, he didn't call out some contestant. No, George, I'll stop you because you're getting almost every fact wrong. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a very current issue. It's only happened in the last couple of weeks. Okay, well, there you go. But it does exactly fall in line with this. What happened is one of the girls who is, I don't know if she won or not, but she's one of the final couple contestants on The Bachelor. Online, people pointed out, oh, she went to a sorority party that was an antebellum themed, right? Which is old South plantation themed because she's from Georgia sorority party. And there's pictures of her and her sorority sister standing in front of a Confederate flag, like some not, not good images in terms of the, the racial climate in America that came out after the fact, I guess that she was on the bachelor and the host was doing an interview and, and it came up and it was brought up because I guess she was just getting destroyed online as happens now with cancel culture. And he tried to stick up for her a little bit. He tried to do basically a little bit of what we're saying right now, which is like, 
look, she was young and she was 18 years old and she went to a party and yeah, maybe she needs to learn from this, but I don't think you have to murder her online. And because he said that, he got canceled and actually like <laughs> booted off the show that he's been the host of since day one. He's like the uh, Alex Trebek of The Bachelor, right? He's been hosting The Bachelor. I don't know. It's probably how long has The Bachelor been on TV? 20, 25 years, right? So that was like the end state of how far this can go with if you don't apologize enough at the <laughs> at the right time, uh, you get canceled in Hollywood terms, right? In celebrity terms, which is where I said, you've got to put out that boilerplate. And I'm sure he did. I guarantee if we go online, we'll find he's put out a statement that says, I'm sorry, I'm going to do the work, I'm going to learn. This doesn't represent who I really am as a person. America today to apologize for his actions and talk about his future with the franchise. I am an imperfect man. I made a mistake and I own that. I believe that mistake doesn't reflect who I am or what I stand for. I am committed to the progress, not just for myself, also for the franchise, I am saddened and shocked at how insensitive I was in that interview with Rachel Lindsay. And I didn't speak from my heart. And that is to say I stand against all forms of racism. And I am deeply sorry. I'm sorry to Rachel Lindsay. And I'm sorry to the black community. I am not a victim here. I made a mistake. And I own that. Racism oppression these are big dynamic problems and they take serious work and i am committed to that work so you are the right person to lead this franchise into the future you feel i plan to be back and i want to be back this interview is not the finish line there is much more work to be done and i am excited to be a part of that change so that's actually what i read and i'm glad that you filled in the story yeah so this is how often it happens that I think it's like in the distant past because it's, it's repetitive so much that it's like I'm immune to it. I don't know. He clearly got fired, but he's saying, I'm stepping away from my role. I have to do some inner thinking, uh, become a better person, some terribly disingenuous apology. And I would look at that and go, you know, you just tried to add some measure and balance to an argument. And because you did that, because you literally did not kick a person while they were down, that your response was not visceral and vitriolic towards something mm -hmm. that a tiny, tiny percentage of people believe. Because the people that go online and spew venom, they're tiny. The vast majority of people have some sort of measured approach. Th that's what I think, because there's nobody I know that I is like that, that or they're just lying <clears throat> for me. And he got dumped too. There's a double, so it's actually double-edged. Mm -hmm. Not only are you, sh if you don't apologize, fake, if you don't hammer someone that hasn't apologized or shit down their throat because of yeah. some perceived slight, then you're just as bad as the victim. That's an insane parallel. Yeah, and maybe worse yeah. than the victim, right? Like I think- Yeah. You're asking them to bully. You yeah. want them to bully her. Like you're not bullying her enough. It's almost <laughs> demanded that you pile on. Yes. The people that produce the show, that make the show, that for reasons that are completely unclear to me why the show continues to be popular because this super woke left is talking about misogyny and doing the right thing. And this entire show's premise is disgusting. <laughs> like it's <laughs> like, if you think about the bachelor, it's a grotesque premise. 
super popular, super popular、yep. ratings, right? And somebody gets lambasted online. Why would you ever cancel him or the show? Well, I, I'm assuming they won't cancel the show. They just cancel him. But I mean, the bottom line is money.、Uh, mm-hmm. It's a super popular show. It continues to grow.、Uh, it was supposed to come to Jasper, so that was the big thing in the news in our province a few weeks ago. It's canceled because of COVID because they were going to do it in Jasper. That's the event that was at the Jasper Park Lodge that they had, correct. They had booked three hundred rooms or whatever. That's what it was. They were going to film a season there for three months. Oh wow! So、cool. this is very like topical. Why would you even make that executive decision? Why do you care? I think on all of these issues, Hollywood always takes the left side and always takes the woke side on all of these issues. For whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. It's it's probably not the largest percentage of the American population, but that's the side that they always take. That's how studio and movie industry executives make their decisions. Hollywood is obviously very liberal. Hollywood、yeah. studio execs are very liberal, which is weird because then all the movie producers and whatnot—they're all scumbags and they're all <laughs> lecherous old men who are being shitbags all the time. And maybe that's why they hide behind the shield of liberalism. I don't know. Yeah, they figured out how to make money. I've never watched The Bachelor, ever. Not five minutes of it. And regardless of what comes out of this, it's clearly a giant money-making machine. And in the end, it's the the lecherous old men in Hollywood or New York. But it just keeps making money year after year. Yeah, you know people that watch it. You've seen it, and so no matter what happens, whether they got to dump this guy, whether they got to shake up the format, in all likelihood they'll bring him back. You know, they had to they had to set him aside for a while to make it look like they did the right thing, because they have to look like they're doing the right thing. You're right, Bruce. It's everything is about protecting the shield. Yeah. You don't do anything that damages the money-making viability of the franchise. Yeah, <laughs> like we just need prettier people. We need more pretty people. Yeah. <laughs> the entire reality program industry should be folding. Like the whole premise of reality TV is disgusting. Oh come It's on! It's why you've never watched five minutes of it. It is. All reality TV shows are different. You can't throw them all in the same basket and say they're all disgusting. I was going to say, I, well, I've I never. I'm going to throw. I'm going to throw them all in the same basket、I'm, just to, you know, to be inflammatory, and I'm not going to apologize for it. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize to you. I've never watched The Bachelor. We watch the The Voice all the time. We're watching one of Blown Away about people that do glassblowing.、Yes. I love reality TV shows. Yeah, you can't put it all in one basket. I've just never watched The Bachelor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You're right. I, I guess. Oh. So now. Yeah. So now he's gonna. <laughs> yeah. Now he's gonna walk it back. Yeah. So people cooking and blowing glass. You're right. Is different than sequestering a whole bunch of women and making them beg for the attention of a man in a public forum and degrading them in the most misogynistic way possible. You're right. Those two things are clearly different. Clearly. The authenticity of an apology, in my mind, at least the way my kids are seeing it, and Society at large are seeing is so diluted that I I think people just apologize, just like we say sorry or you hiccup. It's an afterthought. It's a thing that needs to be done. It holds no merit, and I'm sad that that's going away. The flip side of that too is the fact that in today's age, people can get away with almost anything. Because immediately after they get caught doing something, they put out that rubber stamp boilerplate apology, and people say, "Well, okay, whatever," and then we let them off the hook. We talked about this a little bit when we did that pod on heroes. 
These people who we look up to or whose art we consume, music we listen to, sports we watch, even though we know they've done shitty things, then they apologized and eventually like, oh, okay, Many okay, of okay. you have cheered for me or you worked with me or you supported me. Now, every one of you has good reason to be critical of me. I want to say to each of you simply and directly, I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior I engaged in. How does that weigh into the authenticity or inauthenticity of an, of an apology when we tend to let people off the hook anyway? To me, this is fading into social media, Bill George. You've raised another topic that has a whole bunch of of angles to it. Mm -hmm. The apologizing for something that happened 30 years ago, I've, I feel like we're kind of there. We need new words for that because it's not an apology. It's, I don't feel great about that anymore or the world has changed, but whatever, that happened. And I'm not going to apologize for something I did when I'm 20 years old. I might feel shitty about it, mm -hmm. but that, that happened. Maybe at 20, I, I mean, depending on what it was, right? But yeah. maybe at 20, I would apologize. But at 16, 15, would I apologize? I don't know. I don't know. I actually, uh, hold on, hold on. I'll take that back. I'll take that back because <laughs> I have, a, I have apologized to people for things that I've done when I was that young, but I've put, I've wrapped it in a conversation of, you know, we were kids and obviously I didn't know any better at the time, but I did want you to know that as an adult, when I look back on it now and I, I think about things differently and I've had some pretty healthy conversations with people about those things. I don't know. Is that an apology though? Or is that just a old friends reflecting on a, on a memory and saying, we both see the world differently as adults than we did as kids. Maybe those aren't even apologies. I, th I think that's where I'm at. Yeah. A yeah. Apologies, not the right word, but we're, yeah. we're agreeing. So there's that. Then there's the, the media person, the superstar who does the boilerplate. And mm -hmm. I think we're all kind of there too. We're wishing somebody would stand up and say, no, whatever. Right. And mm -hmm. I so hate that I'm about to say this because I'm tired of it in our pods. But the one person that has showed us that that can work is Trump. I was just going to say that. Too. He doesn't apologize for anything. He is the guy. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, George, but he's your one guy that will say something. <laughs> He'll say Kung flu and he will not turn around right. six months later and say, I shouldn't have said yeah. Kung flu. That's why so many people that support him like him as a politician, because they're like, you know, he's the one guy that just fucking lives his life and does the, you know, like just says, I'm not going to be held to these ridiculous media standards of life. I'm going to be a real person. Well, that's, uh, that's what they say. I'm not saying I believe that. That's what they say. <laughs> that was the other side. Yeah. Yeah. But let me give me my third one though, George, because I do feel like our society has changed on a person to person level. I think we've got better at apologizing. And I, I do feel like I mean, we wouldn't have ended a podcast when we were 21 years old saying that we all loved each other because that just wasn't the sign of the times. We meant it and we knew it, but we probably wouldn't have said it. And I, I kind of see it with Murph and his friends. When they mess up now, they make a point of apologizing and, and doing sort of what you're saying you do at work now, George. You go back the next day and you say, you know what? I blew it. It was kind of the heat of the moment. And I do feel like those real person-to-person -person apologies, and maybe it's just in my world and wanting to keep everything smooth, but I do feel like we're better now at going back and apologizing when we, we make those blunders on a person-to-person -person level. But I think those three things, and those are almost all three different pods or, or three ways to look at your apology thing. And I'm not sure which one you were trying to bring or maybe you were trying to bring them all. It's heartwarming to hear that, you know, your son is considerably better than the people on this pod. Because there's no way <laughs> at our age we would be as sensitive and as apologetic as Murph. And that's true. And I can actually look back and go, 
man, I was a prick about that. I'm fucking stubborn. I wouldn't apologize. I wish I was more apologetic like your son. So that's a good story. That's a good result of people understanding how they interact with other people in humanity. I'm interested in what you guys think as fathers, because you both have raised kids. Because when you think of like the modern day fake apology that celebrities put out, if you wind that back 20 or 30 years ago, the original version of the fake apology you know, see in movies is the kid who is the bully on the playground. And then there's always the scene where his parent is dragging the bully over to the other kid's house and making him apologize for you know <laughs> picking on the other kid. And the bully gives like the fakest apology ever, right? It's like, what do you say to Joey? <laughs> I'm sorry. When you talk about your kids being much more able to communicate properly than we could when we were kids, how that educational process of how you're supposed to apologize and when to apologize, like how do you work that into raising your kids? If you don't want them to give a fake apology, yeah. but you want them to apologize when they do things wrong, you want them to have a learning experience that you did something wrong and we've talked about it. Now you understand that it's wrong. So we've been a lot more on the other side of that. And maybe that's a bit of a chip off the old block scene, but, but we've yeah. had probably more conversations saying, Hey, you know what? You got to talk to your friends and say what they did wasn't right. It didn't make okay. you feel good. Yeah. And not saying, Hey, go tell your friend they got to apologize, but just tell them, Hey, I didn't feel good about what happened yesterday. Let's think about that. And, and I think that's bled over a little bit with them into, you know, not, not doing those actions. And you're right, George, probably there should be some more controversy in our lives and friction. And I don't disagree with that, but that's just whatever, right? We all go down our path. So in our case, I mean, we've had a couple where the kids have come and said, look, I blew it. I made a bad mistake. But yeah, luckily we haven't had too many of those. You're coming with me next door because <laughs> you beat this yeah. kid up on the playground and you you don't feel good about it. So Well, it wasn't because I beat a kid up on the playground. But I remember my parents like taking me somewhere and making me sit down and like apologize for something and how much I hated it and how much of a, I don't I mean, I assume it was a learning experience if you can remember what you learned when you were eight or nine years old. But I do remember I, how much I hated the process. <laughs> this might be part of a when's the last time you, because I only have one yeah. of those where I, and I don't even exactly remember who the kid was, but it was somebody who lived on Dominion Bay. I threw a snowball with a rock in it. Oh. Miraculously hit the kid from a long ways away. I'm gonna, just going to pull out my, I was a super athlete thing. I probably yeah. wasn't that far away, but, and then his, <laughs> parents came over and I remember being in our basement and my dad, like they knocked on the door and my dad kind of calling me up to the door. But I remember us all being really awkward about the whole thing. And he didn't flip out about it. He was sort of like you said, like, okay, yeah. I apologize to him and what happened. And he sort of said, okay, that was a screw up, but it was also a, a one in a million shot. So <laughs> whatever, I didn't feel good about it. But yeah, <laughs> that was probably my, my one of those where it was, and I felt bad about hitting the kid, but it was still kind of a yeah. not super genuine apology. I don't know. Since we brought up Sammy at the beginning of this pod, he never apologized for anything. Like I grew up with a very stoic. Maybe man. that's where you get it from. <laughs> Speaking a chip off the old block, Georgie, there you go. Like, yeah, no, seriously. You, mm. Yeah. Who, who's your most influential male figure growing up? So it's your father usually. And so stubborn guy, you know, solid guy, but would never apologize even when I knew he was wrong. And as I got into my twenties and be more argumentative back and say, you know, dad, I'm not backing down. I'm not 12 years old. I'm not backing down on this point. And he would just actually just stand up from the kitchen and go watch TV. <laughs> he, would just, he would literally just leave the room. room. And you know my house. It's not very big. He's moving four feet. He was only four feet. <laughs> but he would literally just turn his back on me and watch TV. That's had a residual effect on me and my yeah. inability to apologize till I got it later. 
in life. But what I've been with my kids, uh, when I lose my temper and stuff, what I've been trying to do is I go back and I apologize to them. And that's something I never witnessed growing up. I don't think I ever saw once in my entire life an adult apologizing to any one of my friends growing up when they were in the wrong. Maybe Bruce remember this. So we were at Southwood. We were all getting slushes. One of Joe's employees thought I shoplifted something. Uh, I don't know why this is just jumping in my head. And she actually brought Joe over because he's Portuguese and he knew who mm -hmm. I was. And he goes, you know, this kid just stole something. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I emptied my pockets and I looked at her because I was like 14 or 15. And I distinctly remember, Bruce, you being there. And I said, sir, are you going to apologize? Like you called yeah. me out and embarrassed me because I remember I was old enough. Yeah. And she didn't apologize. <laughs> she just harumphed <laughs> and walked away. And then Joe spoke to me in, uh, in Portuguese so no one else could hear and said, uh, sorry, George, you know, but, you know, sorry about that. And we just left off. So I had no experience with an adult apologizing to children. So then to my children. So, you know, it's been a learning process for me. But very recently, just a few weeks ago, on a skiing trip, I apologized to my daughter. I made a bad assumption. I got mad at her. Actually, you know what? Hold that, George. Hold that thought. Yeah, it's the same. <laughs> That's why Les said, well, yeah. wait. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I want an apology for you interrupting me. You won't respect me if I apologize to you, so just get on with When was the last time you sincerely apologized to somebody for something? Yeah, I've been trying to apologize to my kids more often when I lose my temper. And it's usually because I'm tired, uh, weak at work, whatever excuses I populate into my brain. But it usually revolves around me being tired. And then this soiling I've had in my life of you better appreciate what you have because of what your parents do. Because I grew up with my parents often telling me the sacrifices I'm doing, because I know what they did and I know what they've been through. Their life is considerably harder than any of our lives. And so when I see my kids not appreciating things and me giving them the life, it's a bit of a trigger for me. But I took it too far with my daughter and I called her out on privilege and, you know, your friends aren't as lucky as you are. And dad's really proud of our life. But and I didn't say it this way. Like, I didn't say it as nice as this way. And then Megan, you know, filled me in on uh, why she was acting the way she was acting. And I felt bad. And I went, okay. So I went back to her the next day. Oh, no, it was actually the same day because we we're skiing still. And I came up to her and I said, you know, Zara, I figured out why you were acting this way. Dad wants to apologize. And I made it like a teaching moment. I said, look, if this happens again, this can be the code for us that this is what you mean when you say this to me so you don't have to be embarrassed in front of Megan, in front of, of Sebastian. And I apologized and I hugged her and I walked away and then I actually thanked Megan to say, you know what? I don't think I could have apologized if I didn't know the context of that. And I feel so good because it's a hard thing for me to do. And I apologized to, well, one of the 
people I obviously most love in the world. Like, who else do you want to apologize <laughs> to? Strangers? I could give a fuck. Like, I never say sorry ever when I bump into people. Like, I'm the Canadian that never apologizes when you accidentally bump into me. There's no fucking way I'm apologizing to you. And it felt great. And I have to tell you, to sort of tie the arc, when you make a sincere apology and it, it feels so good, I humbled myself in front of my daughter. I made the wrong call. I totally read the, the situation wrong. And I felt amazing when I apologized. And I bet you my daughter felt good too, because dad can be bristly. And for him to be able to do that, I, so that, that was an amazing, it's amazing. When it's earnest. Mm -hmm. There's no way I've got a story like that, but let's go ahead and I'll, I'll see what I can come up with. Two things I, I want to point out about that, George. First of all, Megan is awesome. You should marry that girl. Yes. <laughs> Buy a ring right now. <laughs> yeah. And second of all, when you parent your children, do you refer to yourself in the third person all the time? Yeah. Use the rock. Dad wants to talk to you. Because I think that'd be awesome if you do that. Can you smell? You know what? I actually, I do refer to myself in the third person now that I'm thinking about it. That might be the best thing that comes out of parenthood, that you get to refer to yourself in the third person and nobody calls yeah. you out on it. Yeah. <laughs> to answer the question, Bruce, when was the last time that I sincerely apologized to someone? I'm going to follow right along the same vein with what George just finished on with how positive it is for yourself when you do it. Because... George just telling that story reminded me. Mm. I think I'm I'm not George. I'm more typically Canadian. I think I bump into people. <laughs> I apologize. I probably say, "Oh, sorry, sorry." More much more often than you do. Whether it's sincere or not, we don't have to get into. But I am Canadian, and I don't apologize for being Canadian. No. <laughs> but the last time I think I sincerely apologized to someone was to my father. Maybe it's because you spend so much time during COVID alone, and it gives you a lot of time to reflect. I realized that I had been feeling, I guess, guilty or not great about an incident that occurred between my father and myself around the time that my brother passed away, which is yeah. summer of 2008, so 12 yeah. years. When I saw my parents back in September, when I drove out to Winnipeg to see my parents in quarantine, I actually sat down with my dad and I said, hey, I want to apologize to you for something that happened when Chris died and we had a conversation about it. And the interesting thing is, and this is why I said it, I think it flows into what you're saying about how much of a positive impact it has on the person doing the apologizing. He listened to me, just sat, he listened to me. He kind of cordially said, you know, okay, thank you. And then he said, I don't remember that at all. I don't remember it. It wasn't a big deal for me. So I'd be carrying this guilt around for 12 years thinking I was such a jerk and I wish I'd done this differently and telling him, I'm really sorry about that day and how that went down. He was like, I don't even remember it. It wasn't a big deal for me, but thank you for apologizing. I realized I feel so much better. And that's, I think what you were trying to say. Sometimes giving a really, truly sincere apology to someone is like lifting a weight off your shoulders of acknowledging that you want to be better. What you're carrying around. Yeah. I'll give you one, but honestly, and I'm not trying to dodge the question at all, but it's probably back to me trying to live my life like oatmeal or vanilla, but I just don't have too many. <laughs> and it's probably because I... Uh 
too often bend over backwards not to have conflict. But I have one that's a little bit similar to yours, George, and it's a few years ago we were in Hawaii vacationing with some of our friends and and one of Murph's good buds, we were, it was evening, we were actually doing fireworks in Hawaii. And I don't know if you guys have ever tried to do that, but they're banned basically on the island. So fireworks in Hawaii are like <laughs> on these little sticks that are about four feet tall. They're like giant sparklers, but it was Christmas or New Year's or whatever it was. And so we kind of had this going on and everyone was goofing around and he ended up throwing a whole bunch of sand into Murphy's hair sort of goofing around, we're on the beach, right? But I was just like, who puts sand in somebody else's hair? And it had been a long day. And uncharacteristically, I think for me, I flipped out on him and it put a real bad vibe on what was going on there. And we all kind of wrapped it up. (laughs) And so, yeah, the next morning, sort of similar to you, George, I went and legitimately apologized to a kid who was 10 years old and he didn't know how to act. I'm an adult coming with a heartfelt apology, just saying, look, you know what? Like, whatever, I kind of snapped. But you're right. I felt a lot better after it. And I should ask him about it because he still hangs out with Murph every day. He probably doesn't remember. <laughs> Maybe not. Some parent kind of yelled at me, but that, it was a real, and it was one of those ones for me where I felt really bad because I knew that he didn't mean to, to be dumb, but I was just thinking, oh my God, who wants a bunch of sand in their hair? <laughs> Bruce, that was pretty light. Okay, so don't sell yourself short. So I, I'm talking about, obviously, my daughter's <laughs> menstrual period that I didn't recognize. Les is bringing up the death of his brother and the relationship with his dad and you bring up that you fucking bullied a 12 year old and threw sand in his hair and that that's what you, that's what we get from you bruce jesus Les and i are opening up to you and you get i love it <laughs> this is ridiculous it's ridiculous i'm not trying to dodge you i just i got no material on this one i paid for a, a paper and i took two out <laughs> yeah, just, it's crazy Here's the funnier one. My 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 lighter example was going to be, and maybe I'll just use this one. Was I bought Marnie fifty gifts for her fiftieth birthday, like these fifty small gifts, but seven or eight of them have been scratch tickets, and she's just hating them. And it seems like forever, like every day, she's opening up another scratch ticket, and she just hates it. So I'm giving sincere apologies for buying scratch tickets. Scratchies. You're apologizing for the gifts that you gave her. Yeah, that's pretty fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's another lightweight apology yeah. story. Well, I will tell you, yeah. I'll tell you guys another story. Bruce, you got to promise not to put this in the pod, though. Okay. Should we stop the pod? Should we stop recording? Oh, whatever. No, nah, keep it going. We I, could, I, I trust Bruce. Yeah. I trust Bruce with the sensitive content. Yeah. I'll get, get rid of that. The last time, like the more recent time that I actually apologized was on Valentine's Day. Obviously, we've been COVID. We've been locked down little things become even more important than they are, right? So Alex, you know, was like, do something nice for Valentine's Day. Like, every day is the same. I said, okay, okay. So we did this date night thing where we signed up for this charity event where you do a Zoom call with a celebrity chef and they send you all the food and you make dinner and a bunch of our friends are doing it. So, you know, we're on a Zoom call and doing this. It was a super fun night, great night. Got the flowers, got the chocolates, everything was great. But one of our couple friends, my buddy Hugh, who's like a, great drinking buddy of mine and drinks like a ton. He's like the Hank Hebert of, uh, <laughs> of my modern day crowd, Bruce. That's, that's a pretty good reference. Big time throwback. So we're having this really nice Valentine's Day night. And, you know, Alex got all dressed up for the first time in months because we never go out. I really enjoy this conversation with you. He's like, oh, what do you I mean, like, Hold on, I got to mix another drink. Hanson, make yourself another drink. Let's keep talking. Oh, okay, I'll have another drink. I proceed to get just fucking hammered. For the first time in so long, like to the point that Alex eventually just looked at me and she's like, 
I'm going to bed, whatever. <laughs> Apparently Valentine's Day is over. Like, I'm going to bed. And she just left me. I had to sleep downstairs on the couch because she was like, I'm done with you. Like, this is pathetic. And I was like, <laughs> I literally hadn't been that, I hadn't been that drunk in, I don't know, like close to a year. It's the first time in the year of COVID that I've been like hammered. And I literally woke up the next day and I went to her and I said, I want to do two things. I want you to know, one, I sincerely apologize. Two, I feel nothing but shame about my behavior. <laughs> I go, I feel terrible about myself and I'm apologizing to you. I'm falling on my sword. I don't know what the fuck is wrong with me. That was ridiculous. Best Valentine's Best Day Best Valentine's ever. Day ever. She's all dressed up. She's all she's like, she goes, it's not even like you guys are out together drinking. You're on a Zoom call. You're sitting in a room with me through a video screen with your drinking buddy and you can't stop drinking. Uh, ridiculous situation. Yeah, so unless you are a piece of shit, it actually makes... Do you see, Bruce, how when you were in a tropical paradise with your friends and you threw a little bit of sand into a kid's <laughs> hair, that you're not a villain? Like, you're not, it's not... If that is the worst thing you have done... I feel terrible about myself. I didn't throw the sand. He threw the sand. I freaked out on him for throwing the sand in Murphy's hair. I snapped on him. Bruce stood up for his kid. He would, He's guilty of being the overprotective father, standing up for his kid. <laughs> I'm not sure I even stood up for him. I was I was just kind of mad. Yeah, exactly. I should have just said to, said to Murph, punch him out. Oh, you're the helicopter. Which is even a lesser, even oh. a lesser charge. You snapped on a kid. Yeah. yeah, can I can I bring one back for next time? Maybe I got something better. I just couldn't remember. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> you know what? Go punch one of your kids in the face tonight and then apologize tomorrow and then record by yourself your apology. <laughs> I gave my daughter a bloody nose last night and then I gave her some, you know, cotton batons to, there you go. to soak up the blood. <laughs> Good We've talk. always been together with four of a kind, having fun all day, palling around and laughing away, just best friends. That's it. That's the end. You probably found us already on social media, but if not, at Snow Day Pod, tell your friends. We've also got an email, snowdaypod at gmail.com. Send us a voice memo. Maybe we'll put your voice on the show. Thanks to the rest of our team, social media Todd, producer Mike, and the secret weapon, Shannon Bison. <laughs>